Well, hello there, and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It's Tuesday. Tuesday is the day we do crazy comedy, usually, sometimes drama, but we're we're doing crazy comedy. Uh, last week, we had the pleasure of welcoming the great Dr. Demento, the legendary radio Dr. Demento, to our program, and we have him back with us again for one more show this week. So without further ado, welcome to the good old days of radio show, Dr. Demento. Woo, woo, wind up your radio. And here we go. We got the radio wound up. Our subject matter for today is the great Stan Freeberg. So I'm going to put it out to you, Dr. D, to tell us about Stan Freeberg. Yeah, well, Stan Freeberg grew up in uh a suburb of Los Angeles, and uh, became a fan of old-time radio, and, and he, he also liked cartoons, and uh, I think it was right after he graduated from high school, he got on a bus and went to Hollywood and uh, walked around uh, looking for places to audition to do cartoon voices, and and he found he found one, and he wound up doing cartoon voices, and that was how he broke into showbiz. So Stan Freeberg made records for Capitol, um, St. George and the Dragon Net, etc. Yeah, that was his, his biggest seller. That, that was actually hit number one on the Billboard pop charts. Oh, it went to number one. Okay, that I did not yeah. know. But yeah. th- that explains why there's so many copies of it it's still out there. Yeah. By 1957, Stan Freeberg was well-established as a uh, great satirist of modern music. He uh, took on rock and roll, right? Yeah, several times, starting with Shaboom, which was really one of the very first rock and roll hit records, and he, he took off on that. Yeah, and there's a version of The Great Pretender that he did, and a num- yeah. number of things. Yeah, Heartbreak Hotel, where he lampooned Elvis. Yes. This all leads up to, in 1957, in the summer of 1957, Stan Freeberg was given a half-hour of time on the CBS radio network to do a comedy show. It was probably the last comedy show (laughs) on CBS radio or anything else because most uh, radio networks had turned into music shows and television was where you went if you wanted to see comedy or anything like that. But yeah, well, well, Spike, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Stan Freeberg became a a summer replacement for Jack Benny. Yes. All right. Well, I have selected a particular Stan Freeberg show. I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but it's from August 11th, 1957. And on it, Mr. Freeberg and his wonderful cast, who we'll discuss after the show, uh, do a absolutely fantastic parody of uh, the band leader, Lawrence Welk. And I think I'll leave, oh, yeah. I think I'll leave it with that. Uh, if people know what I'm talking about, they will be anticipating it. If they don't know, um, just be prepared. It's quite fun. So um, we'll listen to this together, and then we'll have some talk afterwards and go from there. It's August yeah. 11th, 1957, The Stan Freeberg Show. You know what that was? What? 
I was a full half hour of the Stan Freeberg show played backward at high speed. <laughs> How would you like to hear it played forward at normal speed? Please. This is the fifth show of a series of a brand new radio series. From Hollywood, we present the Stan Freeberg show. With the music of Billy Mann. Plus the songs of Peggy Taylor with Doris Butler, June Foray, Peter Leeds, and Judd Collins, Rhythm Airs. You may not find us on your TV, because in case you did not know, we're being brought to you on, brought to you on, brought to you on Good evening. Well, here it is, our fifth show already, and it's certainly been wonderful for you folks to tune us in. You notice I didn't say, invite us into your living room? Uh, we try to meticulously avoid saying that kind of radio cliche around here. Uh, we also try to avoid saying, a funny thing happened to me on the way to the studio, or perhaps an uh, old clock on the wall says it's time to go, or maybe, and now a word from our sponsor. On second thought, I'd rather enjoy saying that one. <laughs> Any of you fellows out there in sponsor land who would enjoy having me say it, uh, be sure and write, even if it's only a contract. <laughs> Mr. Leeds, if you please, would you read the news bulletin? Uh, certainly, Stan. Thank you. From the wires of our news service. A brightly burning, unidentified object lit west coast skies from Los Angeles to Portland, east to Salt Lake City in Boise, Idaho. Police at Wairika in far northern California, near the Oregon border, reported it appeared to be a small egg-shaped object which gave off blue sparks. A county sheriff's officer said hundreds of observers reported having seen a flying saucer. Thank you. Now, I don't know how much stock you folks put in that story, but within a few hours of the time the object was sighted in the small town of uh, Wairika, California, was it? That's right, uh, Wairika. Yep, yep, yep. <coughs> A <laughs> uh, flying saucer actually landed and was captured by Mr. Leroy Phipps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, what was that again? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, just how did you find the saucer, Mr. Phipps? Well, I found it next to the carrots. <laughs> that again? I came in for dinner. I was hungry. Mm hmm. I sat down in the breakfast nook, and there it was, next to the carrots. Must have flown in the window. I see. I thought it was an unusually large Hubbard squash. <laughs> Hubbard squash, eh? Well, how, how did you... Well, I had it all buttered up. Yes, <laughs> sir, I was going to partake of it. And then, all of a sudden, it started making a noise like a little teeny Dixieland band. Well, I'll bet that pretty nigh scared you out of your boots. No, I was not wearing boots. <laughs> no, no, I mean, were you alarmed? Well, uh, I thought it was an unusually musical Hubbard squash. <laughs> I'll say that for it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what happened then? Right after I thought it was an unusually musical Hubbard squash, you mean? Yes. Well, right after that, I'd given up eating supper. Mm -hmm. The lid popped open, and a teeny little man with antenna climbed right out. Well, that's pretty fantastic. Just a moment, Mr. Phipps. Where's the saucer now? What do you think this is? I'm holding under my arm. 
Well, I didn't know. Here, uh, set it on the table there. All right. Set uh, it down. Yeah. <coughs> Gee, it's still buttered up. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I ain't give up hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see any man with an antenna Well, he was there Yeah, well, just a moment, Mr. Now, Phipps. wait a minute, all right, you don't believe, I don't believe me it. I'll go get my wife <laughs> No need to bother your wife Hmm, <coughs> certainly is a strange-looking object Wait a minute, it's starting to glow What's this? Gentlemen, this is amazing. Bring that other microphone over here, please. Ladies and gentlemen, the saucer is now giving off rather blue sparks. Now a little door is opening. And a little man is coming out. I believe, uh, I believe he's going to speak. Take me to your leader. No, no, that's the microphone. I'm over here. Are you an Earth man? Yes, I am. What did you think I was? I don't know. I thought you were an unusually talkative Hubbard squash. <laughs> you mind if I partake of you? No, please. <laughs> uh, my name is Stan Freeberg. Actually, where are you from? My name is Orville. I'm from the moon. Well, I got a letter from my sister. She was on your show two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, Miss Jupiter, huh? The girl with the shapely wheels. <laughs> Sir, I'll thank you to leave my sister's wheels out of this. I'm sorry, it was rude of me. Do uh, all the people here look like you? Well, no, not all of them, no. Because it's quite a disappointment to me so far, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I think we can fix that. Just a moment. Peggy Taylor, can you over here a moment, please? Sure, Stan. <laughs> you see there, Orville? He's a nice-looking boy, isn't he? <laughs> Great. <laughs> I hadn't exactly thought of her like that. <laughs> I must have a talk with you sometime, Orville. By the way, what made you decide to leave the moon? Well, I didn't care for the climate. We had this stuff in the air. It was a kind of a mixture of smoke and fog. <laughs> the politicians tried to blame it on the exhaust from the flying saucers. But, uh, actually, it was caused by the green cheese refineries. I see. Oh, they kept promising to do something about it, you know, but they never did. <gasps> Big business, you know. I got tired of my eyes burning and came here to Los Angeles to get away from it. Oh? <laughs> you think I'll like it here better? Well, I wouldn't send your laundry out for a while. Hey, Freeb? Yeah? What about an introduction to the tomato? Tomato where? Orville, that's a typewriter. <laughs> I'd like to see that in a bikini. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Don't knock it if you haven't seen it. I'd like to be on his show again sometime, Orville You have a refreshing point of view I'd have to sell my saucer and move in with you You think I could get a good price for it? Oh, I think so 
It's nearly new. I bought it from a little old lady on Saturn who only drove it on Sundays. It's about uh, 30 light years to the gallon, you know. Well, perhaps we could sell it to a science fiction magazine. Oh, come on. You don't believe that stuff, do you? No, I, I don't believe that junk. Neither do I. <clears throat> I'm going to sing. I didn't know you did. Huh. Come off it, Freeb. On the interplanetary network, I'm known as the voice of cheese. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know that spaceman over there. Hey, Ogog! <laughs> That's Billy May. <laughs> sure looks like Ogog. <laughs> May I sing now? I have a song for my relatives back home. Fine. Hit it, Ogog. Everybody on yon twinkling star Doesn't matter on which one you are If you're digging me on your radar Hello out there, hello Take it, Freeb Though you are a strange and weirdo race If you are equipped to fly through space Pay a little visit to our place Hello out there, hello Take it, thank you If you got nothing else to do Just rev up the rocket to pocket, to pocket If you've a pair of wings that you attach to a sprocket Fly on down Don't you let appearance worry you They are pretty funny looking too Anyway, in case I'm coming through Hello Out there Last week, we had the pleasure of presenting Dr. Herman Horn, the noted electronics scientist, in the first of three lectures on hi-fi. Last week, we had such wonderful hi-fi demonstrations as the mating call of the aardvark, Luella Parsons putting ketchup on a clam sandwich at the Brown Derby. <laughs> Goodness knows what fascinating experience is in store for us tonight. And here he is, that man about electrons, Dr. Herman Horn. Yes, thank you. By way of simple explanation to the layman, which is a polite way of saying cloth head, <laughs> uh, hi-fi brings out everything that is on the record. Little subtle things like piano overtones, harp vibrations, clicks, scratches, surface noise. <laughs> all the things you couldn't hear before and amplifies them with magnificent clarity. Yes. Hi-Fi, of course, stands for high fidelity, and no home can be without it. In spite of what your wife says, ignore it. Ignore it. All women are troublemakers who would like to take the money their husbands need desperately for a new and better speaker and selfishly squander it on things like shoes for the children, <laughs> homogenized milk, or perhaps a second dress. <laughs> they, they can sit there and watch their husbands suffer with old equipment which has been obsolete for at least a week <laughs> and deny him the new theater playback system he needs so badly. Shameful, shameful, Mrs. America. Comes now the contest. If you could guess the sounds we are going to play, 
you win a life-size, full-color, inflatable latex rubber Liberace. <laughs> He comes in a sitting position with arms extended, ready to be blown up and set down at your very own piano. <laughs> okay, Strudelmeyer, blow him up. Gee, <laughs> that's realistic. Certainly looks like Lee. <laughs> well, on with the contest. Here is an ordinary sound that you hear on the house every day. What is it? <laughs> Give up. That was Benny Goodman in a skin diver's suit. 20 feet underwater playing Danny Boy in a kelp bed. <laughs> Too bad you missed. Well, try again. What is this? Well, you get it? That was King Farouk in a skin diver suit, 20 feet underwater applauding Benny Goodman. <laughs> Comes now the last sound. Could you guess it? That was the sound of John L. Lewis giving his eyebrows a crew cut for the summer. <laughs> Better luck next time. What a shame, nobody won. All right, Strudelmeyer, let the air out of the latex piano player. <laughs> right. Now just a word about the care of hi-fi records You've heard the expression Cleanliness is next to high fidelity <laughs> Well, all right When you get home from the record store Wash the hands with surgical soap Before removing the record from the plastic envelope uh, rubber gloves and face mask are optional. <laughs> Next, approach the machine on tippy-toe. You shouldn't raise no dust. <laughs> to show you how good a sterile record sounds, my assistant Strudelmeyer is going to play a dust-free, surgically clean LP what has never been touched by human hands. After he gets through with it, it still ain't been touched by human hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the edges, handle it only, Strud. Meyer. It works better if you remove the plastic envelope first. <laughs> That's a little better. That'll be enough, Strudelmeyer. Well, you did it that time.
times, Turtle Meyer. <laughs> As you know, ladies and gentlemen, under the Hi-Fi Oath, Section 22, Paragraph 18, Strudelmeyer must be destroyed at once. <laughs> Get a big fire going under that oil, Strudelmeyer. I want it boiling! <laughs> Unfortunately, we will not be able to continue with Dr. Horn's speech due to the fact that he seems to be cooking something on the stove. <laughs> but he will be back again next week with more fascinating information on the subject of hi-fi. Now for uh, a... Pardon me, Stan. Oh, yes. So what is it, June Foray, as they say in radio? Uh, do you mind if I go home now? Well, uh... uh... I don't have any other bits coming up. I know, but I'd like to have you stick around. I mean, why do you have to dash off? Is this your bowling night? No, that was last night. I want to get home and look at something. You mean on that little box with a screen? Yeah. Sorry, you know the rules here in radio, June. Oh, I'm sorry. come on, Stan. Let's deviate. Well, if you insist, we just happen to have one of those things in my dressing room. <gasps> you do? Shh, don't tell anybody. Come on. Gee, I didn't know CBS Radio would allow one of those things in this B-U-I-L-D-I-N-G. Well, don't spread it around, huh? Gee, a whole ten-inch set. <laughs> yeah, I'll snap it on. Gee, it sure is funny looking. I had it made up egg-shaped. CBS Radio just thinks it's an unusually pictorial Hubbard squash. <laughs> well, believe me, I won't tell him. Hey, we're just in time for my favorite band leader. You mean Bubbles? I think he's fading on now. Good, I like him. Thank you, and a good evening, friends. Um, now we've, now we've been getting lots of cards and letters from you folks. Uh, from you folks out there in television land. And we surely do thank you for... Uh, for... Uh, for all the cards and the letters from you, uh, from you folks out there in television land. <laughs> Starting us off tonight is our trio, the Lemon Sisters. And girls, so what are you going to sing? We're going to sing, thank you for all those cards and letters you folks out there in television land. Lant. Lant. And apropos a number, uh, one and two and... There. 
Oh, it's the bubble machine. Turn off the bubble machine, please. Somebody. Folks, folks. Just a moment. I'm sorry. Hold it just a moment, please. Turn off the bubble machine. Please turn off the bubble. Thank you, Lemon Sisters, for that lovely number. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, the show. There's that man with a deep, deep voice, Larry Looper. Uh, what, are you, what are you going to sing for us, Larry? I'm going to sing uh, thank you for all those cards and letters. I'm, I'm sorry that number has been taken. Well, I'll sing the funny old hills then. Good. One and two and... I'm happy on the prairie all the day Singing Lady Olay Lady Olay And the funny old hills sing back to me Hold it just a moment Hold it Bubbles don't come till the end of the program Please turn off the bubbles Turn off uh, thank you, Larry. <laughs> uh, thank you, Larry Looper. Uh, and now I would like to play a short instrumental medley based on the names of the girls. A one and a two and. <laughs> That short instrumental medley. <laughs> now here's that young man about town from the brass section, Stony Stonewell. <laughs> sing, please. Please, lend your little ear to my please. Just a moment, please. Hold it. Just a moment. If I don't count off the number, we can't hope to start off neatly. <laughs> Here we go. A one and a two and see how lovely that turned out now. Please, and your little ear tonight, please. And the ragged ear tonight, please. Tell me that you love me. What is the matter with that machine? Just a moment here. Hit it, hit it with your horn. That's got it. That's got it. Thank you, Stony Stonewell. And now, hit it, hit it again. Hit it with the horn. Hit it. And stick your mouthpiece in it there. Hit it. A wonderful, a wonderful. <laughs> and now, on the way to the show. Here's our champagne lady, Alice Lean. <laughs> what are you going to sing? I am going to sing Wonderful, Wonderful, and now on with the show. 
Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, that's just a little laugh on me. <laughs> and I got a little laugh on you when you get your paycheck this week. <laughs> Alice is going to sing Moonlight and the Shadows. One and two. <laughs> and gentlemen, for the first time in 25 years, my popping finger is caught in my cheek. <laughs> will, you get, will you give me a hand there, Alice? Pull my arm. Pull on my arm. No, the other arm. That's it. That's it. Out my ears. A one and a two. And... Everybody out, just a minute. Somebody stop the bubble machine. The whole ballroom is filling with the bubbles. Where are you, Alice? I'm shaving! It figures. I can't see the cameras. Here, let me set the accordion down on the stage. And I'll try and fix that thing. Bear with us, folks, just one moment, please. Gee, the time is running out and we haven't even played a polka. Hold it, boys. Just a minute. I didn't mean... Hold it, Alice. Don't polka on my accordion. <laughs> Gee, Dad, it was a Wurlitzer. <laughs> Hit the theme, boys. And so it's a good night from all the champagne. Where is the cameras? Music maker, turn off the bubble. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, take your foot out of my accordion, Al. And so, friends, help. Stan Freeberg Show is produced in Hollywood by Pete Barnum and is written by Stan Freeberg and Pete Barnum with original songs by Stan Freeberg. Featuring the music of Billy May, Judd Conlon for the mayors, and the songs of Peggy Taylor with Dawes Butler, Peter Leeds, and June Foray. Bud Sewell speaking. Oh, people, people, do you know what next Sunday is? No! What is next Sunday? Next Sunday, we have set aside one minute as a time of universal tap dancing. At the given moment... People around the world will put aside their differences and tap dance side by side for one minute. <laughs> At the given time, stop. Get out of your car, step out of your houses, wherever you are, and let's tap dance with our fellow man. If you can't tap dance, don't just sit there. Snap your fingers. <laughs> or at the very least, hum tea for two. <laughs> we'll have microphones... <laughs> We'll have microphones set up around the world as each country joins in. That's a week from tonight as we set aside a time of universal tap dancing. 
Let this, then, be the first move toward international brotherhood. <laughs> Until next week, this is Stan Freeberg saying, brush up on those taps. God bless you for listening, and good night. From August 11th, 1957, the Stan Freeberg Show. And welcome back, Dr. Demento. Yeah, glad to be here. And what did you think of that one? Oh, it was was great. Uh, I I like the bit about hi-fi. I thought so. That's why uh, this is one of your choices, because it not only has the great satire on Lawrence Welk, but it has the high-fidelity skit in there as well. Yes, uh, high fidelity was a big thing in the late 50s. In, in fact, uh, the next year, that, that was 57, 58, uh, they figured out how to make stereo LPs. So that created, uh, everybody had to buy a new system all of a sudden, which was a great bonanza for the uh, electronics industry as well as the record industry. Did Stan Freeberg ever release a record of this hi-fi thing? I, I don't recall it, but you would know. I don't. I don't believe so. Had you heard that before? Yeah, I'd I'd heard that show long ago. Okay. Well, on his program, and there's 15 of them, there are three or four different programs where he does a different version of this high fidelity skit um, yeah, with right. different with different jokes and I didn't know if they ever put any of that on any of his LPs. I don't recall that they did, but you would know more than me. Well, there there, there were of course uh, there was a, a two LP set of uh, excerpts from the radio show. Yes, is it on there? I I can't I I don't remember. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, think, uh, I think one of them might have been. Uh, I know I know wonderful wonderful was. Yes, but this was a kind of a elongated version of that. It's much longer here than it was on the record, right? Just a little bit. Uh, pro- probably just the audience applause. That differ from the recorded version, but I I noticed there's only like three or four little variations from the script uh, as compared to the record. But having having a live audience uh, stretches it out a little bit. Yeah, the audience seemed to really enjoy it too. Yes. For those who don't know, tell us about Lawrence Welk, the band leader he was making fun of there. Well, Lawrence Welk started out in the twenties. Uh, actually had a, a band that was uh, considered fairly hot at that time. Uh, they, they played foxtrots and uh, had some improvisation, and uh, Lawrence Welk on Jeanette Records from the 20s are very collectible, very scarce. Sure are. Uh, but, uh, but then, uh, starting around, oh, 19, in the very late 30s, he began recording again uh, for Vocalion and, and OK Records. And became quite popular once again. Bubbles in the Wine was originally recorded for, for OK Records or, or Vocalion, uh, his theme song. 
Lawrence Welk, he played polkas, uh, and he'd played hot jazz earlier, but, but, but in the very late 40s and early 50s, he'd kind of settled down to, to more conventional form of pop music. He was like kind of a, a little more rustic version of what Guy Lombardo was doing. Right, and then there was that television show that seemed yeah. that seemed to go on and on and on, uh, and yeah. I think is still shown in reruns in some rural parts of America today. Yeah, my granddad liked to listen to Lawrence Welk uh, or watch watch Welk out. Of everybody's grandpa, grandpa, mother, father, it was one yeah. of those things that uh, us youngsters were kind of dragged in front of the TV to have to sit through. Um, I don't remember liking it very much. I thought it was really kind of slow and drippy, but that's why I love the fact that Stan Freeberg lampooned it. Yeah. And then there was the one time when Lawrence Welk on his TV show uh, did the song One Toke Over the Line, (laughs) apparently not realizing that it was a drug song. Oh, that would be fun. I'm sure yeah. you can probably find that on YouTube for those who are just now dis- oh, learning yeah. this I, fact. I, I play it on the show once in a while. Oh, you play it on your show. Did they release a record of it? Not commercially. No. Okay, so you just have the soundtrack from the TV show or something. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> One toke over the line on the Lawrence Welk show. Okay. Yeah. Well, that fits right in with your program. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Um, and Stan Freeberg, of course, went from doing all this kind of crazy comedy, making fun of the popular music of the day, into um, advertising and creating commercials and things in the 1960s, yeah, it, right? did very well as, as a maker of commercials, which were uh, sometimes pretty funny. Yeah, he made some really, really funny commercials in the 60s yep. for all kinds of things. And did you know Stan Freeberg? Uh, a little bit, yeah. He, he was a guest on my show uh, three times, I think. Yeah, he showed up at a Spurdvac meeting. Um, you may not know what that is, but a society to, yep. pre- society to Preserve and Encourage Radio Drama Variety and Comedy. I've been a member since 1975. Um, uh-huh. And Stan Freeberg showed up there once. And he walked up to the microphone and looked out at the crowd and said, Spurdvac, eh? Sounds like some kind of disease I don't want to catch. And just went from there. It was, it was pretty good. He's pretty good at doing these type of uh, interviews and stand-up type things. Yes. All right. Well, before we uh, leave you, I want to go through a couple things because in our previous sure. episode, we talked a little bit about your career, but we skipped over one part. And that is when you mentioned you were initially um, all into early novelty, Spike Jones and Stan Freeberg and all those guys. And then you kind of uh, got out of it for a little bit and became what you described as a blues hound. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, uh, I, I happened to hear a, a couple of blues records on the radio in about 1954 when I was 13, and uh, and I I loved the sound of Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed and people like that. I just I was in Minneapolis, uh, but uh, I could tune in a station from Little Rock, Arkansas, every evening at 10:15, and uh, 
and and it came in pretty well on AM radio because it was a 50,000 watt station and and it was apparently beamed towards the north so we could it came in pretty well in Minneapolis and so that's where I first got to know the music of Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed and people like that who were uh, regularly releasing new 45s in the 1950s. Do you remember what those first blues songs were that you heard in 1954? The the first one that actually that, that really made an impression on me was "Shake Rattle and Roll" by Joe Turner, which was not Chicago blues, but uh, but definitely a contemporary upbeat. Uh, blues verging on rock and roll. Yeah, heading right into rock and roll. I think that one charted on both charts. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, it, uh, I, I first heard the Bill Haley version of Shake, Rattle, and Roll, but when I heard the Joe Turner version, I, I loved that more and and started seeking out records by Joe Turner, and I found uh, there was one record shop in downtown Minneapolis, the Melody Music Shop, uh, and they, they carried the new blues 45s so one one young clerk there he, he told me about muddy waters and jimmy reed and john lee hooker and i started picking up records new records by them as many as i could afford on my lunch money <laughs> and then that progressed into the 1960s and you started um, producing actually things tell tell us yeah. about that yeah uh, well i i, I came to Los Angeles in 1963 and uh, immediately discovered the Ashgrove, a club that had traditional folk music, including blues, as well as uh, bluegrass and old-timey uh, music. Uh, so, Did you see um, Mississippi John Hurt and Sunhouse yes, at, the, at the Ashgrove? Yes, I did, both of them. And yes. what kind of experience was that? Uh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, I mean... Uh, Mance Lipscomb, who was, uh, he, he he never made 78s, but he, he was discovered in the early, very early 60s, and be, or 59, I think, and became popular on Arhuli Records, a very prominent label. And uh, Mance performed at the Ashgrove, and I remember Mance telling me, uh, he asked me offstage, quietly, just we were by ourselves, and he asked me, do you think that people really like my music? They're so quiet when I perform. Because he was used to performing for black people in Navasota, Texas, and so on. And uh, they would uh, talk and, and, and make merry and, and drink and enjoy themselves and whoop it up while he was playing. So, so I, I think I managed to convince Mance that the, the people were being quiet because they really loved his music and they respected him. Yeah, well, it's two different cultures, but they were coming together. Yes, they were. And so you went on from there to produce some blues LPs, yeah. right? Yeah, I went to work for Specialty Records. Specialty Records was owned by the late Art Roop, who just died recently at the age of 104. He heard uh, Art Roop had graduated from UCLA, and he he was a very prominent or, or a very devoted UCLA alumnus. So he heard that I had written a thesis on rhythm and blues music of the 50s and how it evolved from straight blues to R&B. Uh, that was my master's thesis at UCLA. And Art Roop heard about that and invited me to lunch and decided to give me a job uh, as the director of product development for specialty records. And so I produced 
uh, over 30 LPs of uh, his, uh, from specialty records catalog of R&B and gospel music. His specialty was a very big gospel label. Right, and and you actually went into the vaults, the tape vaults, and found some unissued things and made sure they got out there, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes. thank you, thank you for that. I've heard those, and they're very, very good. Yeah, some some of them are still available on CD, of course. Right, right, but but yeah. So, and then you went from working at Specialty as a, as the, in that job, and then all of a sudden, radio called. Yes, I got to know a guy because he. Uh, I I used to write regularly for the Little Sandy Review which was a, fa a fanzine before they were called fanzines, but it was a fanzine devoted to traditional folk music, devoted to people like Mississippi John Hurt and, and similar people who, who were from the Anglo-American tradition. Uh, I got to know a subscriber to the Little Sandy Review uh, who, who was from Michigan, and, and while in Michigan he had met Stephen Clean, the obscene Stephen Clean, who <laughs> had by 1969 or so, become a prominent local DJ on KPPC, our so-called underground FM radio station, where the, the DJs could and did play anything that they thought that the audience would like. KPPC had no playlists. Uh, they could play uh, any kind of music. Uh, they could play old blues. They could play old country music. They could play... Uh, KPPC was probably best known as the station where you could hear Jimi Hendrix and Cream and people like okay. that. Okay, so progressive uh, rock radio. Yes. So I became I got to know the obscene Stephen Clean, and he invited me to be a guest on his show and to bring some of my uh, records. And I I I brought an assortment of R and B records, but one record that I did bring was Transfusion by Nervous Norvis. Of course, I know that one. I, I thought that the audience would like that, and they did. And Stephen was the one who gave me the name Dr. Demento. It just popped into his head. <laughs> uh, and he it's stuck that, ever since. Yes, and it's stuck ever since. Uh, he claimed, actually, that uh, Peter Wolf, uh, who was a member of the Jay Giles band that was big at that time, uh, Stephen claimed that Peter Wolf and he were smoking dope one night, smoking weed, and uh, they came up with this idea of a mythical character who was called Dr. Demento, who knew everything about old music. And so when <laughs> Stephen met me, he decided that I was the embodiment of Dr. Demento, and, 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 it, and it stuck. And you still are. Yes. <laughs> so you, to, to quote the Harlem Hamfats, you were a weed smoker's dream. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Some people out there will get that reference to a 1939 blues record. Most won't, but okay. <laughs> sure. All right. I remember when I was 13, 14, something like that, my father brought me out to your house in Pasadena. Oh, and you may not remember this, but I came out there several times and I bought some records from you way back uh, then. You had to leave that house. Do you, is is it correct? Is the story oh, correct oh. that there were so many records in that house that it was starting to slide off the hill? Well, that was a, a, a later house. That was my house, Sherman Oaks. Yeah. So, uh, I when I could afford the rent, I moved into a house in Sherman Oaks, which was considerably bigger than the one I had in Highland Park. 
which was right outside of Pasadena. Yeah, that's the one I remember. But I yeah. just somebody told me this story about you had so many, and I know you had a lot of records. I have a lot of records too. But somebody said you had so many records that your house was beginning to slide off the hill that it was on. <laughs> uh, no, well, the Sherman Oaks house was on flat land, but uh, it it had been built in the '30s, and it had not been really well built, as we found out. And uh, what's what made it worse was that the the previous the previous occupant of the house had put in a central air conditioning system, which the house hadn't been built with. And uh, whoever put in the central air bored a large hole in one of the joists that held up the flooring. Oh, no. Yeah, and that little knowing that the joist was weakened by having this huge hole cut in it, uh, that became my record room. It was the front bedroom of the house, but... but uh, I, being a bachelor at that time, uh, didn't need the front bedroom, so uh, the house had two other bedrooms. So I slept in the rear bedroom, and, and the front bedroom became my record room. And weakened by the, the, the hole in the joist, and also by a leak in the shower pan, uh, which was adjacent to the bedroom that I didn't know about. I didn't know the shower pan had leaked onto it. That made the, the joist collapse. And so the uh, one, one night the floor just sank uh, just down <laughs> to the crawl space. So what, what, what is really wonderful part of the story is uh, though the, the middle of the bedroom sank about a foot and a half, but I did not get any breakage of 78. So they just, <laughs> they just gradually settled into the basement or, or the crawl space. If, if there had been a full basement, I probably would have had some damage to my 78s, but, uh, but no, so that's the the actual story. The the, the house wasn't yeah. sliding down the hill, but you had a problem. No, but, but, well, the, you can you can go ahead and say that the house was sliding down the hill. It's a better story. Okay. Well, I don't know. I just was wondering if it was a correct one. So, yeah. <laughs> whichever one you like is the one we'll leave on the show. How's that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I I always like to be truthful. Okay. Uh, I, I I mean, uh, Doctor Demento. I I always like to get my facts right when I'm playing old funny records on the radio. I, I, I like to make sure that if I'm talking about them, that I get, get the facts right. And now that I'm the show is just firmly under my control, I'm not working for the Westwood One Radio Network about that, I can go ahead and explain things like that rather than keeping the music going at all times. Right, right. So it gives you more freedom to tell little stories and, and uh, entertain the audience with your reminiscences and things. Yeah, which to me is more important than uh, being able to play records unbleeped. Yes. That, that's good, too. But uh, Okay, well, you, you've been in radio a long time. Um, yeah. What what do you think about the state of radio now? We've gone from vintage radio, like we've heard on the show the, this week and last week. Uh, then we went into the kind of disc jockey era in the 50s and 60s. And then we morphed into the talk radio stuff beyond that. Um, what do you think of radio today? I hardly ever listen to radio anymore. <laughs> you and most of the rest of the country, I guess. Okay. Yeah. That that's yeah. that's a good answer because yeah it 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 basically you it's taken all the fun out of it right yeah I mean I I still enjoy hearing what's new in other kinds of music but uh, 
the, the radio stations that play new music don't tell what the records are. Yeah, they have no one there to say it. It's just automated. Yeah. So yeah, so you don't know what you're listening to. You have to kind of figure it out. Or if you have yeah. one of those real fancy car radios, I guess the name of it comes up on the screen sometimes. Yeah, but. yeah. Uh, but 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 I I don't really like today's pop music like I loved. Uh, I, I loved new new music on the radio up up until the 1990s for sure. But uh, I I don't care for it so much anymore. Yeah, everything everything has changed, but even yeah. amidst all of that, there is still a nice sized audience for vintage radio shows. There's yeah. a there's a nice sized audience for vintage comedy and novelty records like you do. Yeah. There there's an audience out there. There's still people that love it. Yes. And that's great because I, I I've only yeah I've only been doing this for a year and a half, um, and we've seen a a pretty dramatic rise in the number of people that that listen to this, and of course you've been doing it forever, so you you see that there's still a, a definite good audience for it, and I just think that's wonderful. Yeah, because I I got a nice bump because uh, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, who who I was pleased to. To, to discover uh, when he was 16 years old uh, and a, a semi-fictional movie came out about him recently on Roku TV. Yes, it did. And yeah. they have a... Um, who who plays you in that movie? I, I, I'm blanking Rain, out. Rain, Rain Wilson from The Office, right. From The Office. Yes, yeah. yes, okay. Yeah, well, and that, that, that film has gotten a lot of great attention and a lot of, lot of positive reviews and all that. So that, that yeah. definitely would give you a bump, and that's wonderful. Yeah. And I know that, that Weird Al, whenever he appears anywhere, he makes it a point of mentioning you as well, and he's been very grateful for yeah. what, what you've done for his career, as have I, because well, I love Weird Al. Yeah, well, Al would probably have been an architect if it weren't for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what he went to school for, right? Yes, right. And my dad was an architect, too. So. Okay. Well, you are um, a living legend in radio, I have to say that, and I'm, I'm very happy and pleased that you agreed to appear with me on this program. You've been well, an inspiration to me for all of my life, pretty much. So, Well, I, you are uh, a living legend in the, the old record business, too. Yeah, it's a different kind of living legend, but yes, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I have found a lot of great records that people said couldn't be found. I've found them, so um, yeah. all it takes is a whole lot of work, a whole lot of time, and a whole lot of money, and it's, it's fun, but yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have any plans on uh, writing a book or anything? Uh, yeah, uh, my... My manager and I are co collaborating on a book right now, okay. uh, which is basically my autobiography. Do you have a title yet? Uh, no, we don't. Okay. Uh, we, still have, we still have quite a bit of writing to do. All right. At one point. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the Good Old Days of Radio show with me today. Is there anything else you'd like to say to these to this listening audience, which is going to be slightly different from your normal listening audience? Well, uh, just, just remember, you can find uh, 2,000 old Dr. Demento shows going back to the first year I was on the air, 1970, at drdemento.com. All right. And we can also listen to your weekly shows at drdemento.com, right? Uh, they, they, they go online every Saturday. 
Okay, so every Saturday, but any particular time? Uh, no, they go online at uh, midnight L.A. time, uh, Friday night into Saturday. That's when they first go online, but you can hear them at any time. Okay, so if if they want to hear the right the very moment that they're available, just check in after midnight on Friday, and at some point during the wee hours of the morning on Saturday, you'll get a nice, fresh, brand-new Dr. Demento show, right? Yeah, or 3 a.m. Eastern time. Well, we're here. We're, we're trying to keep all this stuff going and inspire young people. You inspired me. I'm trying to inspire young people. So that's the idea. Keep this going um, as long as we can. Well, may you find uh, the missing Willie Brown Paramount. <laughs> Good. You're, you're aware of that. Yes, there are two missing Willie Brown Paramounts. Not just one. There are two. Yeah. And um, yes, we've been looking for those for a long time. Um, haven't got anywhere yet, but you never know, because I read just recently, uh, yesterday as a matter of fact, that somebody went to a yard sale in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and found another copy of O Death by Charlie Patton. Yes. So they're out there. I don't know if we're going to find Willie Brown, but people are looking and I'm looking. And if they, if they do, we'll get it out there for, so everybody can hear it. Yeah. In the meantime... Thank you so much for appearing with me on the good old days of radio show. Thank you for bringing for Weird Al Yankovic into the world. <laughs> My son and I are very happy about that. Just thank you so much for appearing here today. Okay, don't forget to stay demented. All right, stay demented. This is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show. Special guest, uh, Dr. Demento. We'll be back next week with other kinds of crazy comedy. And on Thursday, we do the kind of uh, unusual uh, suspense-type horror shows. So tune in for that. Check us out on Facebook, www.goodolddaysofradio.com and Facebook, Good Old Days of Radio Show. And make sure you find Dr. Demento, www.drdemento.com. This is John Tefteller saying thanks for listening and stay demented from me too. The Shadow Knows.